Welcome to Victory Christian Center's audio podcast. We hope this message encourages you, and we look forward to connecting with you on social media or FCCFMD.com. Whatever captivates the heart's affections, the mind's attention, and the soul's ambition essentially has our worship. We worship everything from pop icons to our jobs to our favorite sports team. While the object and method of worship vary, the act of worship does not. Oftentimes, our worship is focused on ourselves. The pursuit of fame, wealth, and personal satisfaction becomes the focus of our wants and desires. But no matter how much we worship these things, they can never satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. God has uniquely designed us with meaning and purpose. He's divinely created us in his own image. When we worship the creator and not the creator, we are left unfulfilled and unsatisfied. We deny God the worship that is rightfully his. When we step into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus, our relationship with God should become elevated above every other ambition, every other affection, and every other activity. It should change everything we do. It begins to change the words we say, the decisions we make, the way we view our circumstances and see the people around us. It changes our goals, desires, and pursuits. Instead of searching for meaning and purpose in our life, it becomes the meaning and purpose of our life. Worshiping God is not limited to singing a song on Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle lived out in reverence to God, wherever he has placed you. There is no sacred and secular divide. Worship involves all of our lives, not just one part. Not just one part. That means... We worship as we work, as we parent, as we go to school, as we gather around the table, as we suffer, as we compete, as we love, as we seek, as we create. All that we believe, think, say, and do should flow from our beating heart of worship. So what is worship? It's the outpouring of our lives, led by the Spirit and rooted in God's truth, devoting all we are and all we do to Him, our Creator. It's ascribing worthiness to the one who alone is worthy. she was able to share it with you this morning. And so I want to talk to you this morning about being wired for worship. What does that mean? What does it look like when we are wired for worship? In Isaiah 43, 21, the Lord says, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. The people that I formed for myself, why? So they could declare my praise, so that they could worship me. Scripture tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. He abides in our praise. But it's not just us. Creation, all of creation 
groans. The heavens declare the glory of God. In Isaiah 55, 12, the Lord says, You will go out with joy and be led forth with peace, and the mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Now, I'm just going to be real with y'all this morning. If I'm in the middle of the woods and the mountains and the hills start breaking out in song and the trees start clapping along with it, <laughs> I'm probably going to hightail it out of there. But the heavens declare the glory of God. His creation cries out for how powerful and mighty he is. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus said that if these keep silent, if you and I remain silent and cease to praise him, that even the rocks are going to cry out. I've done children's sermons over the years with uh, little rocks, little pet rocks, you know, that they have. And, of course, you ask the kids, you know, what would you do if this rock started talking? And all the kids go, that would be great. I want to hear a rock talk. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear any rocks crying out. We should never cease to sing his praise because we have been wired for worship. Worship is our response to the presence of of God. And so if you're taking notes this morning, that's your, your first key. That's your first point. Worship is our response to the very presence of God. Now, in our text this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 12 and following. 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. And I'm going to read from the New American Standard this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Somebody say, with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. I love that phrase, with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. Verse 16, then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. Now keep in mind, Michael was his wife, and she despised him in her heart. Verse 17, so they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offering and the peace offering, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Further, he distributed to all the people, to all the multitude of Israel, both to men and women, a cake of bread and one of dates and one of raisins to each one. And then all the people departed to his house. But when David returned to bless his household, I love that, David went home to bless his household. Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. 
and said how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself in the eyes of his servants' maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my eyes. But the maids of whom you've spoken, with them I will be distinguished. Verse 23, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you this morning that we have the freedom to come into your house. That we have the freedom to voice our worship. That we have the freedom to openly praise you. May we never take that liberty for granted. I thank you, Lord, that you have wired us for worship. And that all of your creation speaks of your glory. May we never cease to praise you. But God, I pray that you open our hearts this morning. Open our hearts and open our minds to the truth of who you are so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. We're looking today at one man's response who understood what it means to be wired for worship. Now, if you're not familiar with the Ark of the Covenant that's referred to here, we'll give you just a, a brief history lesson. The Ark of the Covenant was built by Moses. It was a box that was made of acacia wood. The top of it was the mercy seat where the high priest would sprinkle the blood of animals to atone for sin. The Ark housed the tablets of the law that God had given to Moses. It housed the rod of Aaron that had budded. The ark itself was a symbol of the presence of God that moved with the people. That was how they realized that God's presence was leading them and guiding them. He was there with them. Now the ark, just prior to our portion of text this morning, it had been captured by the Philistines. And it was placed on a cart. But you see, the Ark of the Covenant was not designed to be moved around on a cart. It was designed to be carried on poles by the Levitical priests. No one was to touch the Ark. It was not supposed to be touched by human hands. And so we see earlier in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel that as David and his men are moving the ark on the new cart, they're moving this along and one of the oxen, one of the animals stumbles. And so what's going to happen to the cart? Or the ark is going to shift a little bit. So there's a man named Uzzah and he reaches out to stabilize it. He reaches out to catch it. And in that instant, God strikes him dead. Can you imagine being around this man at that moment? You just kind of back up and say, whoa, wait a minute, I don't want to come any closer right now. No one was intended to touch the ark. It was not designed to be carted around on wheels. 
And so David sees what happens to Uzzah. If you look earlier in chapter 6, it says he was afraid of the Lord that day because he realized the power that God had. He just struck a man dead. And so I think David sees what happens and he's like, you know what? I don't know that I really want to bring this thing into my city right now. I don't know what God might do. So they find a man whose name is Obed-Edom. They take the Ark of the Covenant to Obed-Edom's house. And it remains in the home of Obed-Edom for about three months. The scripture tells us that Obed-Edom and his household were blessed on account of the Ark of the Covenant. I think that's amazing. They were blessed on account of the ark of the presence of God being within their household. Now, I think when David finally realized that something in his heart realized that there was a connection between the presence of God and the blessing of God, he said, you know what? I, I want to bring this back to my city. I want that blessing. I want my household to receive that blessing. I want my city to receive that same blessing. There are a couple of indicators regarding David's attitude toward worship that I want you to take note of this morning. Tells us that as he was bringing the ark into the city, he brought it into the city with gladness. With gladness. He brings the ark into the city. He was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. In the Hebrew, that means with all of his strength. It was loud. He was bold in his worship of the Lord. The people were shouting. They were blowing trumpets as they are carrying the very presence of God into their city. They marched six steps and then they stopped to sacrifice and worship. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. They're moving the ark from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of Jerusalem. So David and all of his men are, are bringing this ark and they march six steps and then they stop and they sacrifice and they worship. They march six paces, they stop, they sacrifice, they worship. Can you imagine how long it must have taken them to get into the city? To only take six steps and stop and worship? Why? They were excited. They were exuberant because they were carrying the symbol of the presence of God with them. They were bringing it back into their homeland, into their city, and they were excited. They didn't care how long it took them to get there. They were just excited that the presence of God was going to be with them. And I think sometimes our, our mindset for church in our culture today is, all right, pastor, you're speaking a little bit too long. I'm hungry. I got to get home. I got lunch, lunch on the stove, lunch in the oven. I got to get home. My, my stomach's growling. Oh, don't sing that song again. We're, don't, don't keep going any longer for worship. Pastor's got to preach. We got to get out of here. We put God on a time schedule. God, this is, this is my hour of worship on Sunday, and then I got to go about my day. Can I tell you, these people didn't have a time limit. They took six steps. Six steps, not 600, not 6,000, not six miles. Six steps. Six. And they stopped, and they sacrificed, and they worshipped, and they took another six, and they stopped, and they sacrificed, and they worshipped. Why? Because they didn't want to rush the presence of God. God cannot be rushed. And if you and I would realize that we are wired for worship, we would not 
to rush the presence of God. We would not want to say, God, it's, it's going a little long now. i got to get home. i got things i got to do. We'd say, God, if you want to show up, show up. Yes. And I'll stay here as long as it takes. I'll sit here until my prayer is answered. I'll sit here until I receive your favor. I'll sit here until I receive your blessing because I'm not ready to go yet. I'm not going to put you in a box. I'm not going to put you on a time schedule. I'm wired for worship, and my worship is my response to the very presence of God revealed in my life. They didn't care how long it took them to get back to the city because they were carrying the presence of God. And regardless of how long it took them to get there, they still arrived shouting, and dancing and blowing trumpets. They weren't fatigued. They weren't tired. Scripture says they were dancing. David was dancing with all of his being, with all of his might. I think that our culture and our churches today have lost the sense of what worship really is. I think that we've lost the importance of worship and we've lost what it truly means to worship God because it's not just about the songs that we sing in a Sunday morning service. Our worship is a daily reflection of our response to the presence of God in our lives. Our worship is a daily reflection of our response to the presence of God in our lives so we see King David, the ark's being brought into the city, and he's dancing in all of his glory. He's dancing with all of his might in the middle of the city. He disrobes himself. He takes off his kingly garments, and he's left with this linen cloth. And he's dancing in the midst of the city, and his wife, Michael, rebukes him when he returns home. And Scripture says she despised him in her heart because she didn't like what she saw her husband's outside making a fool of himself and she's like david you are a king what are you thinking this is absurd to her it was crazy because he took off everything that distinguished himself as a king he took off everything that elevated himself above the people and he stripped down to a linen cloth and he danced before commoners. And so David responds to his wife and he says, listen, I wasn't dancing for anybody but Jesus. I wasn't doing this for anybody but Jesus. I'm sorry if you don't like how I worshiped. It wasn't for you. I was dancing for the Lord. He goes on to say, it's the Lord who chose me. Can you just let that sink in for a minute? I'm worshiping him because he chose me. He chose me this morning. He chose you. And our worship should be a reflection of that. David says to Michael, the Lord chose me. He chose me above your father. He chose me above all in his household to be the ruler over Israel. And because of that, I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to worship because of what he's done for me. And Michael goes on to say, you know those servant girls that are out there, how could you go out and dance like this in front of servants, in front of common people? And David goes on to tell his wife, you know, those, those girls that you're complaining about, in their eyes, I'm even more distinguished. Why? Because they get it. They saw the presence 
coming into the city, and they got it. They understood that David was wired for worship. David says, honey, if you think this is bad, I'm willing to become even more undignified than this in my worship because I'm wired for worship. What is my dignity? I'm going to worship my Lord and my King with all that I have. And I don't care what anybody else thinks about it. I'm going to worship. John Bevere says our worship isn't shown by our songs, but our obedience. Our worship isn't shown by our songs, but by our obedience. Are you being obedient to him this morning? See, something that you and I have to realize is that worship is not about us. It's not about us. Look at the person beside you say, it's not about you. It's not about you. Worship is not about us. But unfortunately, modern worship in today's society, if that's what you want to call it, is all about how I feel. It's all about what I need. It's all about what I want. Guys, it's not about us. We're wired for worship because worship is our response to the presence of God in our lives. A.W. Tozer said, I wonder if there was ever a time when true spiritual worship was at a lower ebb, to great sections of the church, the art of worship has been lost entirely. And in its place has come that strange and foreign thing called the program. The word has been borrowed from the stage and applied with sad wisdom to the public service, which now passes for worship among us. Friends, worship is not a program. Worship is not a performance. It is a response to the presence of God. And you and I need to live in that frame of mind day after day after day. But I wonder if we haven't become like Michael, David's wife, that we've become just too dignified that we don't know how to worship God. What does our worship service look like to someone who walks through the doors for the first time? What do they sense when they come into this house? Do they say, wow, there is a group of people who are on fire for the Lord, a group of people who love Jesus, who are sold out for the kingdom? Or do they walk in and say, wow, they must not have a whole lot to praise them for part of the frozen chosen over there not gonna not gonna worship God because I'm too dignified for what someone might think worship is a reflection of what we value Mark Batterson said you become what you worship think about that for a minute you become what you worship I don't know about you, but I'm trying to be more like Jesus every day, and I fail all the time. But that's my goal. That's my aim. And so if my aim is to worship the one who gave me life, then I'm going to become more like him. That should be our goal. You become what you worship. I read an article this week that said, worship a God with a little G, and you'll always end up you worship a God with a little g, you're always going to end up empty. Because, guys, the reality is that everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. 
and someone or something will become the object of your affection and ultimately the object of your devotion. In John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus said, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such worshipers. Don't you love that? The Father is seeking, he desires, he wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And sadly, there are some people who just want to get all the goosebumps. They just want to feel the spirit. They just want to be in the presence. But I don't want to get too close. I don't want the, I don't want God to strike me. I don't want to get too close to the truth because it might convict my heart. Our worship is our response to the presence of God in our life. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? With all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind. You've got to worship with your heart and your head. It's not just about feeling good. It's about getting into the presence of God. It's responding to his presence William Barclay said this, he said, The true, genuine worship is when man, through his spirit, attains to friendship and intimacy with God. True and genuine worship is not to come to a certain place. It's not to go through a certain ritual or liturgy. It's not even to bring certain gifts. True worship is when the spirit, the immortal and invisible part of man, speaks to and meets with God who is immortal and invisible. The Ark of the Covenant that represented the very presence of God has just been brought into the city of David. But to David's wife, Michael, it meant nothing. It meant nothing. And friends, if the presence of God means nothing to us, then how can we follow a God whose presence we're not concerned We see in verse 23 that to the day of her death, Michael had no children. She had no children. I think what we can learn from this is that without worship in our lives, our lives are barren. When we refuse to respond to the presence of God in our lives, our lives become barren and they become empty. We are wired for worship. Worship is our response to the presence of God in our lives, but worship is also essential because our worship is essential to spiritual warfare. Our worship is essential to spiritual warfare. And so as David and the house of Israel were coming into the city, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They were shouting. They were blowing trumpets. They were letting everyone know, hey, we are here. And we're carrying the presence of God with us. When you and I go out from this place, we are carrying the presence of God with us. Yeah. And so they marched into the city shouting and blowing trumpets. I don't know about you, but it's my prayer that such a holy roar would erupt from this house. That houses down the street would come walking in. What is going on? What is happening in this place? I want to experience that. I want to be part of that. Look at what happened at Azusa Street. 
worship. And our worship is our response to God's presence meeting with us, to his presence in our lives, and realizing the weapon that God has given us to engage in spiritual warfare is our praise. Are you with me this morning? Most of the time that the word trumpet is used in the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word shofar. A shofar is a ram's horn. And it was used for many different types of things. And so when this horn was blown, it signified a call to gather for worship. It sounded the alarm for war. It was used to announce certain festivals. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, it was the shofar that sounded when the Ark of the Covenant was brought back into the camp of the Lord. It was used as an instrument of praise within the temple. One of my favorite uses of the shofar is found in Judges chapter 7. And you might be familiar with the story. Gideon's army, the Lord has just kind of taken away and taken away, and now he's down to 300 men who are up against about 135,000 plus Midianites that he's got to fight with 300 guys. And so the Lord's command to Gideon is to give all of his men a pitcher with a torch and a shofar. And at the appointed time, they were to blow the shofar and shout, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And at the sound of the trumpet, there's restlessness in the camp of the enemy. And what happens? They turn on each other. At the sound of their worship, our worship is essential to spiritual warfare. We're wired for worship because our praise is a weapon. In Psalm 144, verse 1, David says, Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And so, you know, when I'm worshiping and I'm raising my hands and I'm praising God for the victory that we sang about this morning and I'm thanking him that everything that the enemy has tried to put on me that he's meant to harm me and use for evil God's turned it around for good I'm also signifying you know what devil you can stop right here because this is my weapon my praise is going to go forth and you are defeated our worship is a weapon second corinthians chapter 10 verse 4 tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not what they're not carnal they're not fleshly but they are mighty through god to the pulling down of strongholds and so when you and i engage in worship we are waging war against the enemy of our soul it's preparation for battle. We're wired for worship. Our worship is our response to the presence of God in our life, and our worship is essential for spiritual warfare. God created us to worship Him, and in doing so, He equips us to engage in spiritual warfare with the most powerful weapon, that of our praise. We're wired for worship because everything that you and I do can be done as an act of worship to the Lord. Everything that we do. We're wired for worship. 
but do we truly understand what it means to worship the Lord? John Wimber said, and I love this quote, he said, visitation of God's presence is a byproduct of worship. However, we don't worship in order to gain his presence. He is worthy to be worshiped, whether he chooses to show up. He's worthy to be worshipped. Whether or not he chooses to show up is up to him. But that does not make him any less worthy. Amen. Father, we thank you for your presence in this house. Lord, you are holy and worthy of all of our praise, worthy of a thousand hallelujahs this morning. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for meeting us here. We thank you that we carry your presence with us wherever we go. And may we never cease to respond to your presence working and moving and living and breathing in our life. We thank you for all you've done. God, we thank you for all that you've yet to do. Would you go before us today? We ask this in Jesus' name and God's people shouted amen. Yes. Thank you for listening to Victor Christian Center's audio podcast. We look forward to connecting with you on our social media or at FCCFND.com.